All right, Luke 10, 1 through 12. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter first, you enter first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. The reading of God's word. Nice concentration, Sarah. It's awesome. Awesome. I was, um, someone said I was kicking my step this morning. I'll leave to join my family at the beach as soon as I finish preaching, so it may be a very short sermon. <laughs> not, not really, but I'll, I'll be gone with my family the next two weeks at the beach, so um, Brian will be speaking. When I get back, we're going to be diving in to, um, to Proverbs, but not exactly what you think. We're going to talk about Proverbs a little bit, just a little bit. But then we're going we're gonna to dive into uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, which is you're going to love. You're going to see Jesus in Ecclesiastes. Uh, it's going to be amazing. But Ecclesiastes is a book of Proverbs. So until we understand Proverbs, you can't really understand Ecclesiastes. So uh, we're going to do that. And then I think we're going to then be in a gospel uh, after we finish Ecclesiastes. I think we're going to be in the gospel of Matthew for a number of months. So get ready. We're going to walk with Jesus for a bunch of months together. So that's kind of where we're headed. Um, one of the things I've been thinking about as we uh, close on our land and, and we're sort of in the very, very front end of building our own facility is how are we going to measure um, something's going to be a, a win? As a, one of my, uh, my heart and my um, questions for myself is how will we know if we are healthy and successful as a church, right? There's a lot of ways to measure that. And one of the things I, I heard uh, kind of this week that really gripped me was um, it's not, uh, I won't say it exactly right, but it's, it's not the number we've seeded, but the number we send. It's not the number we, we've seeded, but the number we send. So I was like, well, okay, we sent one, if you count that sort of traditional missionary, Leah's kind of the only one we've sent in that sense. And I felt like the, what the Spirit was saying was, no, you misunderstand. It's not sent across China. It's how many of us are going to be willing to be Jesus and share Jesus right in our workplaces, at desk next to us, school, the house next to us. And so as as we begin kind of trying to 
establish a culture at our church of how do we become the sent ones? I grew up at the Church of the Apostles. When I was nine, my parents started an Episcopal church um, called the Church of the Apostles. Apostles is very pivotal to this passage that we just read. That word, um, apostello, uh, comes from two words. Stello meaning sent in Greek, and apo meaning away from, to be sent away from. Right? So in some cases, missionaries are sent away from their homes. All of us who want to be apostles will be sent away from comfort if we want to take the gospel to the people who need it the most. So as we begin to work at, you're going to be hearing over the next few months, kind of this idea of, so where, where are you an apostle to? Now, we're not the 12 apostles. I know that's a different ball game, but the word is broader than that. Many are called apostles in the book of Acts, not just the 12. The question is, are we going to take that seriously? And so before I left uh, for my time away, I want to look at this passage in Luke chapter 10. Um, I always saw the great delight in my kids' eyes when I'd say something like this to them. I'd say, and with a serious tone in my voice, um, would you go tell your brother I want to see him? I could see the glee, not in the one that was going to be gotten, but the, the sender, right? Some, I don't know what it was, but they loved delivering that message. They could hear the tone, and, and of course, what would they say? They'd come and they'd say, hey, dad wants to see you, right? The enforcer. Dad wants to see you. And the connection between... it. If the sibling had said that, one of, my, one of my sons had said that to his sister and it didn't come from me, would have been completely different, right? Because it doesn't come with that authority underneath of it. It's just, hey, come on out, I want to see you, right? It's not the same as there's a message. I am not the deliverer of the message necessarily, but I'm the deliverer that the message bearer wants to talk to you. There's this Great connection in that case between the sender, the dad, the sendee, the messenger, and the one receiving it, and the message itself. This is what we have this morning. If you've got your Bible, open to Luke chapter 10. This is the story of when Jesus sends out 72 some, some translations say 70, but let's just say more than 12. A lot of people out two by two into towns. It comes on the heels of Luke 9, the first few verses of chapter 9 of Luke, where it's very similar language where he sends the 12 apostles out and gives them a very similar, though not exactly the same, but a similar task and calling in Luke 9, 1 through 6. So in that background, he expands it now. He's not just sending these 12, the Peter and John and James and the guys we know their names of. Many people we don't know their names of, he sends them out two by two. So we're going to look this morning at the purpose, the promise. I know I don't do this very often, but I'm definitely doing the old alliteration thing. The purpose, the promise, the problem, the posture, the procedure, 
and the proclamation. And I could go on, but I'll spare you. So those six, purpose, promise, problem, posture, procedure, proclamation. I've read the Bible. I I know these stories. And and when I think of Jesus going out, here's my kind of, I don't know that I've thought about it a lot, but when I think about Jesus going to things, I think of him kind of getting up in the morning kind of saying, okay, Lord, what should I do today? You know, kind of walking in the Spirit. Like, that's how I see it. It's sort of, I'm doing what I see the Father doing, right? So I just kind of get up, and I, okay, Lord, do you want me to go to Capernaum today? Or whatever, maybe that day he had a plan to go, and along the way he finds someone in need, and he stops, and he meets it. He just kind of operating in the in the Spirit, and and I think he does. But when I read this passage, I was very struck by something. Verse 1 of chapter 10, the Lord appointed 72 others, in addition, I guess, to the 12, and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. You ever thought thought about that before? Let's just say there were 36 teams. You ever thought that Jesus was sort of an advanced planner, that 36 towns or villages or places that he had thought and I'm going to be going here in this synagogue and this little village in this town, so you two go here. There had to be some sort of logistical plan like that. The Lord is not against logistical pre-planning. Have you ever thought about that? I, I don't think I'd ever really thought that there was a well-thought-out itinerary, perhaps, of where he was going to go, what he was going to do. That's not not being led by the Spirit, right? Because we know Jesus was fully led by the Spirit all the time. Right, And yet here he is planning out, and where does he send his followers? To places where he was going to physically show up. So first, the purpose. He sends apostles, because this is the word he uses. He sends them as an advanced team to where he's going to show up. Okay? Keep that in your mind. Number two, the promise. And he said to them in verse 2, the harvest is plentiful. In that day, this is an agrarian society. Everyone would have known what that means. When there is a harvest and there is a lot of wheat or grapes or whatever it was that you were harvesting, that is the time to work, the time to accomplish is it's on, baby. The game is on. It can be, if there is a big harvest and you have a a big field, now none of us, I don't think any of us here are farmers, but we can imagine when there's an incredibly large harvest and you're looking out and you have a limited amount of time because of weather or because of light or time, it's, it's an issue to get that harvest in, right? And people say, oh, that's a good problem to have, right? I have that said about, like, I'll say to people, oh, wow, you know, there's so many kids in the Sunday school classrooms were out of space. And, you know, the typical response is, oh, that's a really good problem to have. And you know what I think about to myself? Yeah, but it's still a problem, <laughs> right? It's a, yeah, it's better than the reverse of I have no harvest, but it's still something you've got to deal with. The promise of the Lord is that there is a harvest. There are people who are ready to receive. And we think of maybe in our culture that everybody's hardened toward God. Can I tell you that's not true? 
they may be hardened toward perceptions of the church. They may be hardened toward various elements or aspects. But that I find, I just, I mean, I'm just anecdotally, I've done a study on it, but I think people are quite interested in how life began and is, am I, am I alive for any purpose or meaning or is this totally random? Does it matter? Is there a being, a God? They may not buy the gospel yet, but I think people are actually quite interested in a discussion on whether there's a God. I think the harvest is really ripe all over the world. Now, I know there are sections where people can be hardened toward it, but I think the harvest is no less available now. I think the promise is just as here now for those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. The problem, what's the problem? Not enough laborers. Verse Chapter 10, verse 2, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So if that's the problem, there aren't enough people willing to be apostles, willing to go. You say, well, I don't want to go to Africa. I don't want, you know, the typical thing. Like, oh, don't send me to Africa. Okay, let's make an agreement. Let's just, let's just say, I don't know if God's maybe will send you to Africa. Let's just, let's just say, I'll just give you a pass right this second. You're not going to go to Africa. Will you go across the street? Okay, pass on Africa, right? Let's just lay that one down right now. Will you go next door? Do you know your neighbor's names? No, no guilt. I'm just asking the question. Do you know, do you have interaction, meaningful interaction with people where your faith impacts your conversation? And I'm not even talking about sharing the four spiritual laws of the gospel necessarily. I'm just saying, are we apostelos? Because I think the call, I think this message of this is is the 72 mean it's not just the 12. We don't get a pass. I was an apostle long before I was a pastor. Right? I was a salesman. I did a lot of other things with my life. But I was called to be an apostle. I'm not saying I took every opportunity, but this is us. Right? My... My way of solving not enough laborers would be logistical, right? Not enough laborers? Well, we've got to kind of come up with a program to get more people willing to go on the mission field or willing to do this or that. What is the Lord's response to the problem? Pray. Look at what he says. Go back, chapter 10, verse 2. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, here's how you solve the problem. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Earnestly pray. We don't, he doesn't ask, he doesn't ask you to do anything else except these two things. Pray and go your way. Take your piece of the field and minister there and be apostles there. That's what he asks for. I think, again, we, we, we have this, we bought in sometimes to a mindset which comes from our world now, which is prayer is doing nothing, right? You'll see a response when people say, I'm going to pray for you. Well, actually, why don't you actually do something instead of just praying, right? It's a complete misunderstanding of prayer, as if there is a either pray or do something, right? It's not. We are to pray and obey, right? 
But to say, well, I'm not going to pray. I'm going to actually do something. What that means is I'm the man. Because there is no God, it presupposes there could be no answer to prayer. Because why would we pray? There's no answer to prayer. We need as Christians to stand up and say, no, I will not be in that bifurcation of either pray or do. I will pray and I will do. And I challenge us. We need to be constantly praying and constantly obedient. And this is what he challenged his followers to do, pray that God would send out laborers into the harvest. And then, verse 3, go your way. Go your way. He hasn't called you to do everything. He hasn't called you to reap every field. He hasn't called you to tend to every garden. He's called you to tend to the one you've been called to tend to. It could be your family. It could be in your neighborhood. It could be in your workplace. It could be in a myriad of ways, you're called somewhere. If you're going to take this Christian life seriously, you're called somewhere to be and to minister and to speak the love of Jesus. The posture. Verse 3, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you as lambs in the midst of wolves. I I don't like that verse that much, just frankly. I'm just telling you, like, that. I don't... Like, I've seen the movies. Like, I've seen the whole, you know, wolf thing. It's just not great to be a lamb in the midst of wolves. Can I just tell you that? Like, it's not really a fair fight. It's not, you know, I mean, you sort of think, well, maybe the lamb's really ferocious. It just doesn't happen, right? Jesus makes no, he doesn't sugarcoat it. So it's gonna, there's going to be a hostile environment. But that our manner, rather, he doesn't say, I send you out as a bigger wolf among wolves. And I think sometimes that's the posture that people rankle against in Christians, is that we feel like the Lord says, I send you out as the big wolf among all the other wolves. There's a great art to being able to have an attitude that's winsome and that's joyful and that's full of grace and truth, and be a lamb among wolves, being aware of the hostility around us, but that knowing that He was the Lamb of God long before He ever called us to be lambs, and that it is in dying and laying down our lives that in somehow the Lord's life is seen, it's not through winning. It's through dying, and it's through knowing that His life is stronger than death. In this world, we're going to win some battles, lose some battles, it's all that, but that He sends us with the most important message any human will ever hear, that there is a God who loves them, who sent His Son to die for them. Now what they do with it is what they do with it. But that as a lamb among wolves, we would do well to remember that it's a soft answer that turns away wrath. It's interesting because it's the wrath of God we really don't want people to suffer under. And I think it's a soft answer that prevents the wrath of God to be heard. Sometimes we just have to say it gently, but with as much truth as the Bible is laced with. Second posture, he tells us, he says, when you go to wherever the field is, whatever town, whatever village they were called to go to, wherever you're called to go, He says, 
Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. That sounds really pretty, like, unfriendly to me, right? Like people, you know, you, you, we sort of visualize, you walk into the village, someone says, hey, Tim, how you doing? Oh, okay, can't talk. I don't can't, I'm sorry, can't talk. Greet, doesn't it sound, sound like that? Greet no one on the road? Like, I always greet people. Like, I don't care where I am. Even people I sort of think I know, I kind of nod at them or, you know, whatever. I always, that seems like, oh, okay, God, I just won't greet you. All right, let's, let's culturally back up a little second, all right? When you greeted someone on the road in this culture, it can take days, I could take you to a passage, and I won't, but there's a passage in the Old Testament where uh, the prophets are told when they go, don't stop because you will be brought into their house for sort of a feast, and it's like a seven-day event. And he says, you have things to do. What he's saying is, when you're called, don't get distracted. Doesn't mean don't don't say hey to someone if you see them on the streets, right? It says it's too easy to get diverted. How many of you guys can get I my distractions have distractions, right? I always say, like I work off a to-do list, right? And I always tell Nancy, by the end of the day, my to-do lists have lists because I just get so distracted with what I'm doing. When you're called to be an apostle, to love people like Jesus loves them, don't start doing your taxes. Do your taxes. I'm not saying don't do your taxes, but you know what I'm saying? When you're called to obey, there's a million reasons why either the enemy or our own flesh would pause on the road and just stop. Seize the day. Seize the moment. So second posture. Wolves Lamb among wolves, second posture, is to be focused. Third posture, to be content. says this, uh, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, greet no one on the road. By the way, let me just let me just back up on this one because we say, well, what do I do? Do I not take my wallet with me? I mean, how does that work? This this is a sense of, you know, for them, it was going to be a short-term trip dependency on the Lord. But um, in Luke 22, just some of you may be aware of this, but Jesus says, when I sent you out, this is resurrected Jesus, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, referring to this verse, did you lack anything? And they said, no, Lord. And he said, well, now let the one who has a money bag take it. Likewise, take your knapsack. Depending on the situation, the Lord may or may not determine the logistics of what you do and how you do it. Jesus even understood there's going to be times when you don't take it and times when you take it. This is talking about the particular situation. Okay, So don't, let's not um, memorialize this in stone like we always don't take two pairs of shoes on our missionary trips. Okay, Let's obey the Lord. Let's be de- dependent upon Him. So uh, the other attitude we come is contentment. Um, whatever house you enter in, First, say peace to this house. Extend blessing to whoever you are with. Extend blessing. When we lead, when the people we're ministering to, when we bless them with the peace of the Lord, it can be received as a blessing. If it's a son of peace is there, someone who's open to 
the things of the Lord, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide. The laborer deserves his wages. And there's some particular words for missionaries here, but I think for us it's a spirit of and an attitude of contentment. You may not like the assignment God gave you. Some of the people that I've been called to minister to um, and have ministered to me, we naturally might not be someone called to each other. Let the Lord determine. The procedure. What do they do? We've talked a little about this. They go their way to the village or the place they're called to with purpose and focus and discernment. And then what happens? Here's in verse 9. Look at verse 9, chapter 10 of Luke. He says, this is what you do when you get there. Heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Later, we find out a few verses later when they return in verse 17, we also find out that they've been casting out demons. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name, he says. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 9 that I referred to when the 12 left, here's what he says. He called the 12 together, gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So, all right, let's be intimidating real quick. So our calling is to heal the sick, cast out demons, right? That's, that's a, I don't know about you, but that starts a little intimidating to me when I walk over to my neighbor's house. Let me, let me try to give you a, a, a thing of this. Not that God can't and, and sometimes does minister in those ways. Jesus did three things, essentially, while he spent time on earth. What we have marked more than anything else in his ministry, these three things, healing of the sick, the freeing of people from demonic bondage and the preaching of the word. That's essentially, if you had to wrap up the ministry of Jesus, almost everything he did related to one of those three things. What he's saying is, you be me to the people I send you to and say to them, the kingdom is near you. Why? Because the things the king does are now coming into your world. Sickness takes many forms. We're called to be healers of the sick. Demonic bondage can manifest itself in many ways. We're called to help free people. And we're called to speak the truth of God's Word. Now, how we contextualize that for the different situations, you have to depend on the Spirit. But... I believe Jesus is calling these 72 to say, this is what I've been doing. Do what I've been doing. Would you tell people that they don't have to remain sick, whether it's in soul, in spirit, relationally? There's so many ways that the sin, that cor- the corruption of sin has happened. You can be free. You don't have to be under the oppression of the enemy, that there's a spiritual reality. And that the, the freedom that Jesus brings and the Word of God, just, again, I, you don't know how, exactly how people are going to respond, but when we come as lambs among wolves and speak truth, and the final thing here is this, the proclamation. After the procedure of, of being the, the ministry of the Lord, these twos that they were sent out 72 people sent this twos they were like a vanguard they're like an advance force doing the work of the lord and they didn't say hey great things are going to happen when jesus arrives he says i commission you to do what i did 
And then, amazingly enough, Jesus was actually going to come to those towns and places and they were to prepare for the Lord's coming in those places. Just like John the Baptist, prepare the way of the Lord. I would say to all of us, can we go places and be the preparation force for God in the lives of people who need them? Now, if people, he gives us a perfect template. If people just say, I don't want to hear that stuff, then he says, okay, I make a, there's a proclamation. The kingdom has come. The kingdom is here. And it says in, uh, in the end of this uh, passage, he says uh, in verse 10, whenever you enter a town and they don't receive you, you know, as they reject the message, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know that the kingdom of God has come near. I think that's tremendously practical and merciful. Now, there's a ritualistic sense of shaking the dust off and screaming. I don't think we're necessarily supposed to scream in the middle of your neighborhood, you know, your cul-de-sac. I shake the dust off my feet. But it's a sense of, Lord, we're not trying to push. We're not trying to, like, twist people's arm to the ground. I, I, I think sometimes when I look at how the culture views us, like somehow we really want to just, you know, arm wrestle people to the ground and, you know, put them in a headlock and say, you know, except Jesus, I'm going to bust your head against the wall. Like, if people say, no, thank you, then I, I sort of, not literally, but I figuratively, I say, the kingdom of God has come near you. And I pray that one day your eyes will be opened. But I move to a place where the Spirit of God is, is received. I continue to pray for a softening. But when we prayed for or ministered to our neighbors or friends or many people still in process that we, Nancy and I, you know, trying to just be apostles to... Some have made it clear they're just not interested. And you know what I say? I love you. That's just fine. The kingdom of God has come near you. I pray one day. I don't say this out loud necessarily to them, but the kingdom of God. I pray one day that you would see the glory of the king who is so near to you. In the meantime, I'll just, I love you. But if we never take the opportunity to tell them the king loves them, who will we know would say, really? You mean there's a God who loves me? Even my mess, even my sin? God would still want me? As we take the bread and the wine together this morning and as we Ask God's presence to be shown to us in this foot of the cross where we're just there remembering His sacrifice. I want to ask you as you come forward, if you, if you come forward to receive that, if you're willing to have that be sort of a commissioning to say, Lord, I'm willing to be an apostle. I'm willing to be a sent one, sent out. then I would encourage you to do that. Because this is what will change our world. It won't, it's, it won't be better churches. And I don't mean that in the sense of like we are the church. I, I do mean it in that sense. I mean it's not going to be bigger, fancier buildings or better church services. Because if you haven't noticed, like the culture is not rushing Sunday morning to come. But they are incredibly thirsty for real believers 
who would really proclaim the message of Christ and then embody it. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are in awe of your love for us and your willingness to come and to become perfectly human to show us what it's like because we know you were sent by God. That We're told that the Father sent the Son, Apostello, certainly outside of your comfort zone, Lord, of being in that perfect communion with your Father, sent to us, end up as a lamb among wolves, slaughtered, Lord, for us. And that, Lord, now you call us to follow in your footsteps. A privilege, Lord, and yet so difficult at times. Lord, help us to be willing to say yes and to be willing to be apostles, to go. And to know how, Lord, that we speak your healing, speak the freedom, speak your word to people. Lord, would you pull the rug out from under us if we're so married to our comfort that we wouldn't go to someone who looks different or whose views on stuff we would find difficult? Lord, would you send us to people who look different, who need us? because they need You. Lord, help us to always picture that it is You who are the Lord of the harvest. It's You who've made people ready to hear the message. Lord, so when You were on earth, the night right before You were betrayed, You took bread. When You'd given thanks, You broke it and you gave it to your disciples, and you said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper, he took a cup of wine. When you'd given thanks, you gave it to them and said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood. It's the new covenant shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Let all of us who eat the bread and drink the wine Proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Or we're not worthy to receive these gifts, but we are recipients of grace. So Lord, we take seriously that because You died for us and because You have empowered us, Lord, we now can and will choose to live for You and through You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This communion table is open to all who are following Jesus, who've confessed their sin, and who understand the meaning of this. No one's forced to take this. Please feel free not to. There'll be people up available to pray for you after you take the elements. And again, I would ask you if you come and take this to, to ask the Lord whether you'd be willing to see this as a commissioning to be an apostle, to be led, to be used, to be sent out in His name. Can I have those who are serving the elements come forward?